Well, hello, listeners. Thank you again for joining us for another Ed Choice Chats. I'm Michael Chartier, our Senior Director of State Relations. In studio with me is Lauren Hodge, our State Director in charge of New Hampshire, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Mississippi. And we've got on the phone from our Ed Choice West Annex, Jason Bedrick, who is our Policy Director and overseeing our, our state work in, in Arizona, or as he calls it, the Cactus Patch. So I want to thank them all for uh, being in studio and being on the phone with us. So we'll get started right away. And I think we're going to start with Jason here. And Jason's going to give us a little bit of an update about what happened in New Hampshire this year in terms of school choice legislation, and then also some budget issues with what happened in Louisiana and Pennsylvania. Uh, so Jason, thanks for being on the program. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened in New Hampshire, a state where you at one time were a uh, state legislator. Great. Well, thanks again for having me, Mike. New Hampshire this year, the, the big push, as uh, our regular listeners know, was for a universal ESA that then got pared down to a low-income targeted ESA that unfortunately failed just by five votes on the last vote in a chamber with 400 members after it had previously passed that chamber and had previously passed in the Senate and had the support of the governor. So it went really far. The activists that I've spoken with on the ground are not demoralized. They are emboldened by the fact that this got further than ever before. And so they're looking forward to the next legislative cycle. In the meantime, they did expand the tax credit scholarship program. New Hampshire has no income tax, so it was uh, originally only businesses that could contribute and receive an 85% credit for donations to scholarship organizations that support low-income families sending their children to a school of their choice. This year, they expanded the program so that individuals who are subject to the interest and dividends tax could also receive tax credits when they donate to a scholarship organization. So it really broadens the base of potential supporters for the program, and they expect that they're going to have a lot more revenue and and therefore be able to support a lot more students. Uh, As it is, the program has been roughly doubling in the past few years, so we should see a fair number of students, uh, maybe even more than 500 students this year participating. Now, Jason, there's only one SGO in New Hampshire, correct? Kate Baker's SGO? There are two, but uh, Kate uh, Kate Baker's group, which was originally the Network for Educational Opportunity and then became an affiliate of the Children's Scholarship Fund, which is a national scholarship organization that operates in a number of states, uh, many of which do have uh, tax credit scholarship laws and quite a few that don't. So they're now the local affiliate for CSF, but there is one other smaller scholarship organization as well. Got it. Thanks for that. I couldn't remember. I know we talked about that, but I couldn't remember. So for our listeners, you know, we actually took a little tour up to New Hampshire this past month and met the coalition up there and and had some interesting conversations. Might do a little teaser. I think uh, Jason uh, took us around and showed us some interesting things about the governor's office and his good friend, the Secretary of State. And we might get into that in a later podcast about some cool things that were discovered up in the New Hampshire Secretary of State's office. But for right now, you know, I think that's a little bit outside of our purview, but I'll just tease that in for maybe coming back next month. Now, Jason, you also talked about the fact that uh, there were some budget things in uh, Louisiana, that there may have been some confusion and some concern about what was going on with the budget down there. Could you give us a little update about what happened down there in the Pelican State? 
Yes, there had been some concern that the LSP, the Louisiana Scholarship Program, which is a low-income voucher, would not be fully funded. And in previous versions of the budget, it was not. Uh, Lawmakers did reach a deal last month that is going to fully fund the voucher program. So $41.9 million uh, allocated to the LSP so that the students who are participating in that program will continue to receive vouchers to go to the school of their choice. Well, thank you very much for that update, Jason. You know, it's always sad to see these budget negotiations drag on and, and, you know, and really hold these kids' future, you know, in jeopardy while politicians argue over funding. We should be funding children and we should be funding all of the ways that can educate them. Absolutely. Though there is a brighter spot, at least in Pennsylvania, which I think you were about to ask me about. But I was. You're very prescient. (laughs) So in Pennsylvania, in their budget negotiations, they did increase the amount of tax credits available for the tax credit scholarship program. Uh, So the EITC, the Educational Improvement Tax Credit, has expanded their cap by $25 million. So it had a cap of $160 million, and now the cap is at $185 million. And then there's also a few other programs, the Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit, which has a cap of $50 million. So there are a number of avenues for students in that state to receive scholarships. And now, thanks to the budget cap increase, they'll be able to support even more students in the coming year. That's awesome. Thanks, Jason. And if I'm correct, that was a bit of a bipartisan effort there, uh, passed by Republicans in their General Assembly and signed by a governor who was a Democrat. So that's obviously a, a big win for us. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for that update, Jason. And as I'm sitting next to Jacob here, I'm thinking that I need a bit of a like Kramer-like spread here where I can get claps to people, maybe some boos, have a little button I can hit. You know, when we're talking about Louisiana, give them a little boo, and Pennsylvania, give them a thumbs up or something. So this is something we can work out in podcasts going forward. So we're going to go transition then here into in-state in the studio with uh, Lauren Hodge. She's going to give us a little bit of an update about what happened in North Carolina this past month. I'm going to close out with Nevada, and then we'll talk a little bit about Janice. So Lauren, please give us a little update about what happened in uh, North Carolina. Well, thanks so much, Michael. I'm really happy to be here. So North Carolina was amongst one of those victory stories that we have this month, especially as regards to their budgets. So North Carolina's Special Education Scholarship Grant received an additional $3 million this budget cycle. And so what this will do is it will help about 375 families who are previously on the waiting list for the program get into the program. And for those listeners who may not quite remember, North Carolina has a variety of kind of choice options, but that special needs scholarship is for students who have a qualifying IEP or an individualized education plan. So those individuals who maybe need some additional help or have some special learning needs. And so what this is, is an opportunity for those individuals who have those qualifying IEPs and who meet the other eligibility requirements, have an option then to receive a voucher type of program for private school tuition or homeschooling aid. So it's one of those ways that North Carolina is really trying to encourage the choice movement, encourage the ability of students who very well may be learning differently. That's awesome. I mean, I know North Carolina has always been doing something year after year, trying to give those options to families. So I'm going to give them the claps that that I don't have here as a button, but they're doing a great job. And we're going to be hearing from Lauren again here at the end of the uh, the podcast. Just talk a little bit about Janice 
how that affects things at the federal level, how it got there a little bit, and how it might affect things at the state. And it also, Leslie Heiner, our vice president of our legal center here, is going to be doing a larger podcast on Janice, really getting into the nitty gritty about that. So I thought I'd ping that and pitch that here for you guys. So I'll end out then with the last state, Nevada. Nevada had an interim study commission on the uh, Nevada Tax Credit Scholarship Program, or some people in the states call it the Nevada Opportunity Scholarship Program. So basically what that was is it was the education committees of both the Assembly and the Senate got together and asked questions of people about how is this program being implemented, what students are taking part in it, how many tax credits are we giving out, are all of them taken? And they're just trying to understand the program from the standpoint of are there things we need to change to make it better, are there things we can remove, and those sorts of things. So a large coalition of people gathered together and essentially defended the program against some people that were interested in removing that program from the books. Our own Valeria Gurr was there advocating on behalf of parents and bringing together a bunch of parents to talk about the areas that this program affects them. So it's really trying to give that human face of why this program is important to parents. And then also we had Don Soifer, another good friend of ours, talk about how he's seen this program work in other states and offering some tweaks about how this program could work better in Nevada. So we hope going forward that the legislature will listen to those people and make the necessary tweaks to make this work better for families and certainly keep this program on the books for the the thousands of Nevada families that are utilizing it to get a better education for their children. So with that, that's the end of our state updates. Please look forward to next month where we'll give you a little bit uh, more about what's going on in the states. But for now, I want to turn it over to Lauren, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Janus case. And for any of you that don't know, the Supreme Court ended its term about a week ago, I believe, and their last ruling was this Janus ruling out of the Janus case out of Illinois. So I kind of want to turn it over at this point and kind of have Lauren give us just a quick background about what happened, and then we can have a conversation from there. Thanks so much, Michael. Now, for you listeners who know my background, you know that I am an attorney and previously a litigator. So I was asked to talk a little bit about this today, but I'm going to plug Leslie Heiner from our office's uh, podcast once again. Leslie is a phenomenal source and will have an absolute nitty-gritty analysis of this. But for the purposes of today, we just wanted to talk on kind of the broad spectrum of what the Janus case means. And you might have heard this coming up more and more in the media. And what this case is, it's Janus versus the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. This is, I feel like I'm back in law school. This case is affectionately referred to as Janus. And Janus is the name of the petitioner, Mark Janus. And the holding, which I'll give you first, what this case actually means, and for anyone who went to law school that's listening, you have a smile on your face because... Of course, the holding is going to come first before the facts. It's that the Supreme Court ruled that it's unconstitutional for a state or public sector union to force non-consenting employees to pay union agency fees. Now, we'll unpack that a little bit because there's a lot to that statement. But the gist of it is that the Supreme Court held you can't force somebody in a state or public sector employee to pay those union fees if they don't want to be paying them. And we'll go through kind of the whys and how that happens. But this case originated, I think, originally in 2015. And as those of you who are familiar with the legal system know, it takes years, if ever, to get to the Supreme Court. 
So this case went up on a writ of cert on June 6th of 2017. And so, first of all, to get to the Supreme Court is just a huge hurdle. And really what this case dealt with was whether or not you could have these public sector employees be required to pay dues when they may or may not want to. And just a little bit of the facts of this case. So Mark Janis, we've mentioned him previously. Mark Janis was a previous state employee in Illinois, and he refused to join the AFSCME, or rather the the local public union. And he didn't want to join them because uh, they didn't align with his political beliefs. And so he, he didn't want to, but because of previous rulings, the union could still take a portion of his paycheck for dues. And so what Mark said, this isn't fair. And so he started this court case. And there are many iterations of this court case, and we'll let Leslie get into the full, the full nuts and bolts of the situation. But essentially what happened is that we had an employee who was, in a way, forced to be a part of the union. And, you know, union activities throughout our nation's history have involved a lot of really good things and a lot of things that are sometimes political. And really where a lot of this case came down to is how do we start separating out what is the political activity of a union from what is the the collective good of that union. And so we'll go ahead and let Leslie talk more in particular about the arguments that were made. But where this case was decided was along the lines of the First Amendment. And what's really kind of important about the case is that we overruled a previous court precedent. And for those in the legal community, you know, that's a huge thing to do. We don't often hear the Supreme Court say, we got it wrong. And really what Janice stands for is we got it wrong. We don't think that that is the precedent that we should be having anymore. And that precedent that it overruled was Abood v. Detroit Board of Education. And That court had previously determined that dues were collected, so long as they were collected for the union's purposes of collective bargaining, contract administration, grievance adjustment, it didn't violate members' First Amendment rights. And so what Janice came around and said is, nope, we're going to look at that ruling again and we're going to say that that was wrong and that this is a violation of the First Amendment rights. And so when we're talking about the Janice case, I think there's a lot of things that the case stands for, and a lot of things that the case doesn't stand for. And so, you know, that ruling is limited only to those unions that are for state unions or public sector employees. And we're also limiting it to those who decide not to be a part of the union. So what this case isn't is a a decree that unions can no longer exist. That's certainly not what this ruling held. Instead, what this ruling held was that The union can absolutely exist, but if you choose to not be a part of this union, then you don't have to be. And so I guess, you know, that's kind of the the overarching theme towards this. I know for the choice community here with with education, we do want to talk about it. And it does matter because, you know, the same way that students have a right to choose and we advocate that parents have a right to choose the best education, certainly this comes down on the side of choice, that you can be a part of the union or you don't have to be. Thank you very much for that great update, Lauren. That was a good synopsis of this for our listeners. And again, we'll plug Leslie Heiner's podcast going forward as well. And the listeners will be able to uh, listen to her podcast. With that, I want to thank all of our listeners sitting through and and listening to another EdChoice chat. We do appreciate you guys being here and taking the time to listen to us. 
If you guys have any questions or comments, please send us an email or shoot us a text or a Facebook message, as it were. I don't know these things. I'm not on Facebook, but please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, my email address is michael at edchoice.org and shoot some questions. Or if you guys have anything that you want us to talk about or guests you want us to have on, please don't hesitate to ask and reach out to us. So again, please visit us at www.edchoice.org to learn more about EdChoice, pick up some of our research, read some of our surveys, or subscribe to this podcast. And with that, I want to thank you all and hope you have a good July. And we look forward to hearing from you or you hearing from us in August. (laughs) 